My name's Leslie Peterson, and I help bloggers turn their modest websites into thriving online enterprises with SEO, email marketing, and a little hard love encouragement to always move forward consistently and with a plan. Hey, bloggers. Today, we are joined uh, by my friend and colleague, Tim Leffel. Tim, thanks for joining us today. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we just got to see each other recently at TBEX, which was great. Uh, Tim is the author of five books. One of them I really enjoy, A Better Life for Half the Price, about how he lives uh, outside the United States in Mexico, which I tried to do before the pandemic or during the pandemic, but it didn't work out. We got in the RV instead. Uh, But he also blogs at Hotel Scoop, Cheapest Destination Blog. He's written for over 50 publications. And uh, he is a staple in the travel writing and blogging industry. So thanks for being here, Tim. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it's it's it was good to see you recently. And I always learn something from your talks. Oh, that's nice of you. I I I, I um that it, I always get nervous blogging in front of what I consider the industry or, or or talking in front of what I consider the industry giants like with you and Gary. There, it's a little. It's a little, it makes me a little nervous, but uh, I was glad to be there. So Tim, intri- uh, or tell us more about yourself, if you will. How long have you been travel writing? How long have you been blogging? How'd you get into it? Give us a little bit of background before we jump into um, the meat of the program. Well, I can never do this without sounding old. So I figure I might as well just go all the way and say that when I started travel writing, I was taking photographs with slide film and mailing things to editors. (laughs) So it's been a while. That was back in the 90s when um, all you could do at that point, if you were a travel writer, was put out a book or write for magazines. And so uh, I wrote for a lot of magazines, but I also worked for some trade publication that did uh, hotel reports for travel agents. So I got to do that where I was covering the whole country. So I did Turkey and Jordan and Israel and uh, Egypt and Korea and all these crazy places, a few states in the U.S. too. And so I started getting paid pretty quickly for, you know, what I was doing, but it was always just a part-time, you know, backpacker budget kind of thing. It was like if we could make enough to like extend our trip another month, I was happy (laughs) because we were backpacking around the world at that time. And I had left a job. I used to work for RCA Records and I left my job. you know, comfortable corporate job and like went uh, budget traveling around the world. But then, you know, like this happens with a lot of people, you kind of get bit with the bug and you say, wow, this is a lot more fun than showing up at an office every day. And, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting. Every day is interesting and new. And why, why can't I just do this all the time? But, you know, it was tough to make a living at it as a freelancer in the print only day. So basically, I kept when I came back to the U.S., I worked for a tech company for a while, but I kept trying to like make this my real gig. And in 2006, I finally um, went full time uh, because, you know, the Internet allowed you to sort of forge your own path and not have to depend on gatekeepers. And I had launched my Cheapest Destinations blog way back in 2003. And then I started just adding other sites on top of that. So um, ever since 2006, I've managed to uh, keep food on the table. And I even put a kid through college, which is not an easy thing in the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. And um, now I'm an empty nester. She's 22. So now we're traveling a lot more, my wife and I, because we don't have to worry about school schedules. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, I was. I'm thankful we've always homeschooled because I I don't think I could be bound to those school schedules. They're just a little bit too rigorous. It's the worst time of year, you know, if you go traveling in the summer, it's like when everything's crowded and expensive. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm excited to talk with Tim today about some writing tips. Uh, Tim has a book called Travel Writing 2.0, and the third edition is out at the end of this month, September, which is really exciting. Uh, And that's what I'm hoping Tim's going to share with us today, maybe some writing tips, maybe some mistakes. But before we get into that, Tim, I have to ask you about your feelings um, about how AI has entered the world of travel writing and travel blogging. What are your thoughts on this AI-generated content or even, uh, I guess what we learned at TBEX was, I can't remember the acronym, but it was AI-assisted writing where it's part AI and part human. I mean, what do you think about that? How do you think it's impacted us? Yeah, I think it's uh, good to approach it as a tool as you would any other tool like uh you know, you don't exactly take what comes out of the keyword research tool and do exactly, you know, what it says and feed in every keyword. And I think it's the same with AI tools. Like at this point, what they crank out on their own is pretty crappy. Like it's it's something, it reminds me of like what a fifth grader would write when they're trying to turn in a 2000 word paper and they really only have 800 words worth of stuff to say. <laughs> they're like just kind of padding the rest of it. And it's full of cliches and bad writing and, you know, things that you really don't want to see on the page, uh, virtual or otherwise. So I think it's best to just sort of, um, I I heard one person say, like, treat it as a dumb intern. Like, you know, the only way to really get something good out of it is to keep giving it better and better instructions and hope that they'll eventually get to something you can use. But you still got to drastically edit it. Um, But I think it's really good for making outlines. That's what I've used it for a lot, just to make sure I'm not missing anything. You know, like Mm -hmm. I'll say write an article about this. And there's this one tool that I use. It's called Koala. um, And it's sort of just like a skin for chat GPT, but it's a little more user friendly. And it'll generate an outline first. And then you can remove things from the outline or ask it to add things. Um, And then if you want, you can have it write the whole article and then you can pick out just pull pieces of it that you want. It'll also cite the source, which is enlightening because sometimes they're valid sources and then sometimes they're, you know, crap that you would never uh, in a million years refer to as a source (laughs) like Culture Trip or, you know, Forbes or something like that. That just is content form, basically. But anyway, um, you know, it's maybe it cuts your blog post writing time for something really long from like eight hours to four hours. And that's certainly worth something, you know, if you can just take some, um, take some effort out of it on the front end. And, and, you know, the problem with it is at least at this point, you got to keep fact checking stuff because it's just plain wrong sometimes. And so you spend as much time doing that as you would have researching it in the first place. (laughs) Yes. I, um, I think I saw somebody call them, or I, I think they're calling themselves hallucinations. That's the word they've used for their errors. (laughs) And uh, I mean, I think that's why it's so important to write about things you already know about. Like I know Atlanta really well. And I asked it some questions just out of curiosity. And it was telling me uh, I was looking for uh, hotels with balconies. And it gave me this huge list of hotels. And I'm like, there's no balcony in sight (laughs) with those (laughs) hotels. And, And then it's funny when you say, 
this answer is wrong. And it'll come back and say, oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, the other problem with this is it's training itself on what's already out there. Well, if what's already out there is riddled with mistakes, you're going to just perpetuate those mistakes. You know, like. I mean, there's all kinds of silly things that we hear about, like that you can see the Great Wall of China from space, which is just plain not true. And, you know, it'll get perpetuated by a tool like this to infinity, I think, because people have written that. And so it doesn't know if it's wrong or right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which means it can only get worse, right? If people are writing new articles with incorrect content, then yeah. it keeps getting it. It's like a ad infinitum incorrectness. Well, uh, so. Talk well. Let me ask you this before I get into asking you one more thing. Before I ask you about the tips for better writing, um, we were talking about this before we got online. But um, I don't consider myself a writer. I mean, certainly I write a lot, but I think of myself more as an SEO person, and I don't think that those two are always in alignment. Maybe they're at odds sometimes the writing great content and writing SEO optimized content. And I wonder if you what you thought of that, if you agreed, if there is there a possibility to mix, you know, to mesh those two things together? Yeah, it's interesting because SATW just announced their Lowell Thomas Award winners and the list might as well have been from the 1990s. It was like New York <laughs> Times, Condé Nast Traveler, Travel and Leisure, like the same old names that you see over and over again. National Geographic Traveler, even though they're online only these days, they don't write in an SEO fashion so much, you know. I mean, it's right. still basically uh, they're trying to tell stories and do narrative features and whatever. And so I think there is a disconnect there. Like, um NATJs is a little better, I think. They, you know, you do have a shot at actually winning something from an online story there because they have a like a panel of judges. But I think um, SETWs is judged by a certain journalism school, and they're applying, you know, what they learned. The professors are applying what they learned in journalism school or what they're teaching to how they're evaluating these articles. And if you look at it through that lens, you know, SEO writing is a lot different. You're trying to get in keywords and synonyms, you're sticking in affiliate ads in the middle of the paragraphs, you know, Um, there's ads in there. Like uh, I think the most prestigious um, awards contest out there is the Solace Awards that are run by Traveler's Tales because you have to turn in a Word document. So they have no idea if your story was in the New York Times or if it was in 365 Atlanta Travel. Like all they're evaluating is what's on the page. So I think we're at least on a more even playing field for something like that. But there are some inherent differences. And also, you know, things that you write for a blog, especially an SEO oriented blog, tend to have shorter paragraphs, shorter sentences, more subheads, all those things. They look completely different than what you'll see in a book chapter, you know, um, a long narrative story about something interesting, you know, that you're kind of leading the reader along by the hand and they're actually reading every sentence. They're never skimming you know, right. like us, with our stuff. They're like, just give me the answer. I'm going to skim down here to the, the bottom third so I can find it. So yeah, there is a bit of a conflict there. And um, you said that maybe it's hard when we were talking before to be good at both. Um, I think you can be, but you sort of have to flip a switch in your brain and and write a whole different way. I mean, I run Perceptive Travel, which is all narrative stories from book authors. And those are long form, they're stories, you know, they're 
good writing, um, but Google hates that stuff. Like it doesn't know what to do with it, you know? And so our, our traffic on that site is abysmal compared to somebody writing about the 14 best things to do in Savannah. You know, it's just a a whole different kind of writing. So um, yeah, it's difficult, but I think you can be good at both, but you just have to make a switch because yeah, you can't write long strung out, run on sentences on a blog post or you're going to be toast. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. And I think you've got a great email list. At least you have a really good email list for the travel writing stuff. And I enjoy getting your emails. Do you, are you using like on that perceptive travel? Are you using emails to get those articles in front of people? Yeah, we've got, I don't know, 1800 people or something. And it's not huge, but it's decent. But I also I have about 10,000 people on one that's for my living abroad book or just, you know, people who are looking to move abroad or live abroad. And um, yeah, so, and then I run this one called Nomadico that's for, you know, digital nomads, people who work, you know, working travelers, we call them, (laughs) people who, you know, can work on the road. And so I feel like the ones for the websites, yeah, my goal is really to get people to go to the website and read the, read the articles, whereas some of the others are more commercial and, you're trying to sell people something, but actually for perceptive travel, we're giving stuff away. We do a prize every month. <laughs> that's like a gear sponsor prize. Oh, so, wow. uh, so uh, actually we're not trying to sell them much. We're trying to give them things. So that's kind of a change, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I know you spoke on email marketing, you know a lot about it, but I, I think it's hugely important in, in this day and age when all the algorithms are failing us so miserably on social media. It's uh, the best way to keep in touch with people. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like it's only going to get worse as AI evolves. Yeah. You have to keep having those. So talk to us about some tips. What what are some actionable things that travel bloggers or, or otherwise other kinds of bloggers might be able to apply uh, in order to maybe improve their their writing or their reach or their revenue. I guess that's the bottom line every time. (laughs) Yeah. And I think they can all go together unless you're trying to win awards like we were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a whole different element. But I I think, um, well, one of the first things that bloggers eventually discover, sometimes it takes them two or three years, is that it should be about the reader, not about you. Like, what are their needs? What do they care about? And, you know, you do want to get the personal element in there, especially in the sense of showing that you're an expert or you're an authority or something like that. But you don't want to spend five paragraphs talking about, you know, all the problems you had on your trip and your plane delays and all that stuff, because it's not about you. It's about how do they do this trip and make the most out of it. So it's important to keep that in mind. You know, the reader should be at the forefront all the time. You have to serve them and help them. And even if you're sticking in affiliate links or whatever, they got to be ones that are relevant and useful and, you know, um, will actually help this person. So that's part of it. Um, But I do think it is important to establish expertise and show that you have it because, um, you know, the problem, there are many problems with trying to be a blogger who writes about anything and everything. And one of them is that you can't be an expert on anything and everything. You really got to kind of pick your lane and, uh, and then, learn more about it than almost anyone else out there. So you can speak with authority and then show that on your about page and in your social media posts and your blog posts. You know, if you've just been to a place, then say so, you know, put that up front. So people know that you're not just speaking 
from uh, generating something out of chat GPT, for instance, right. you've actually been there and you know, which hotels have a balcony. <laughs> <laughs> I remember some... from, uh, the first TBEX I went to in 2017, there was, uh, I was sitting at one of the dinners and uh, talking with somebody. They asked me about my blog. I told them it was this Atlanta traveler blog and they told me they didn't think it was a real travel blog because it was too niche. And I, that just, it hurt so bad. And I, I kept thinking, you know what, I'm making a great living from this. I'm just going to keep going forward. I think this is the right thing to do. And um, that person's not around anymore. So (laughs) (laughs) I think on niching down or having a knowing exactly who your audience is is probably one of the most I mean that's business 101 right like if you go to business school that's the first thing they're going to tell you know your audience know your market and you know they'll also tell you in business school like get really good at one product and make sure it's doing really well before you launch a second one and a third one and a fourth yes. one. You know? Like uh, make sure you've defined your audience well or your customer base well. But um, just a, a couple other quick uh, travel writing tips because I think these don't get used nearly enough is um, use all five senses and and explain that in your, in your text, you know, make people... Mm feel they're there not don't just tell them what everything looks like you know what does it feel like smell like uh sound like etc and also try to talk to people i'm bad at this myself because i'm naturally an introvert by nature and i'm i'm not the kind of person that goes around schmoozing with a bunch of strangers at a party like i i'm one of those guys in the corner with the two people i know (laughs) (laughs) but you know if you're gonna write a, a good uh travel story that comes alive or even one that's just giving advice if you can get quotes from people who live there or who are you know guides or experts or archaeologists or whatever it's just going to make your article a lot more interesting and authoritative you know think of every magazine article you read you know they always have quotes from people and so if you could try to do that yourself and like aim to be more of a journalist i think it it makes your articles better i think that's I love that. And as an SEO, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what a fantastic way to prove experience, to generate original content, to have something that an AI tool can't generate and a a content mill can't, I mean, I guess they could copy it directly, but that they can't, they can't copy that perspective of interviewing other people and getting other people's perspective. So that's one of, I guess business, that's one of the areas where they match. <laughs> yeah. And if it's a business owner, often they'll share it on social media or link to it or, you know, other things that can help your own site. Oh, that's fantastic. And yeah, asking for a backlink from that seems less difficult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anything else? Or maybe mistakes that you see people making either people who are new to it or people who been around the block like us, <laughs> mistakes we tend to make? Well, one that's sort of recent is, um, man, I was on this blog yesterday and they're fairly successful, um, but I could not get through it because there were so many ads and pop-ups and like the font was huge and it was spaced really far apart. And it was so difficult to just plain read it. And I was on desktop. It's even worse on mobile, you know, like um, I know, you know, these companies like Mediavine and Raptive and whatever are, are always trying to get you to crank up the volume, you know, but 
just keep in mind that if you're trying to serve your readers and they can't even read the article because it's too difficult, then you're not really serving them. <laughs> so, you know, strike a balance there. <laughs> I think people are also, we've seen people's traffic drop with uh, the Google algorithm. I uh, heard yesterday someone who lost 70% of their traffic. Wow. And they're, at that point, especially if this is your career, you're desperate for how do I, I need more money right now to pay my rent. And the thing to do is crank up the ads in order to make that happen. But maybe the right thing to do is create a product. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, figure out a way to do affiliate ads better that are actually matched to the content and people will buy from you. And, um, willingly like that's something you're you're getting buy-in on it's not like you're sticking three display ads on every screen that they've got open you know like as they scroll down and there's three of them following them down the screen like there's better ways to uh to connect with people and monetize and yeah figure out you know products or lead tours or put out books or something you know that's less obtrusive I just saw you uh, recently did an inter- I think it was an interview with the people from Stay 22. I mean, that's, I've been with them um, almost two years, like right when they, right when they became or entered the travel space the, for bloggers, I joined up with them and um, man, they make a big difference in my bottom line. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, for people who don't know, they're an affiliate network, but they're not like the other ones like CJ or travel payouts or whatever, you basically could put a piece of code in your header and they will, um, you know, not only convert those ads, which helped when booking.com shut down on CJ, but also, um, you know, they'll do a targeted pop-up when people are leaving. And so you can get a lot of conversions from that. And yeah, my, my hotel bookings basically doubled when I switched to them, which makes me wonder, first of all, what kind of weirdness was CJ doing in their reporting? But, uh, Also, you know, why are they so much better at at capturing people? Well, obviously, they found a way to present the uh, offer at the right time in the right way. (laughs) Yeah, I really like. And the other thing is um, they they give me like they they share more of the of it. So, you know, we only we only get a portion of what. CJ or whomever is making and they, and, and stage 22 shares more of that with us, which helps. But what I like about them, CJ is just like a nameless entity out there and stage 22, I feel like is a, it's really a partner. Yeah. If you send them an email, somebody will answer. Yeah. And with a thoughtful (laughs) answer, (laughs) not a machine generated answer. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, Tim, you have uh, a course coming out in late October, Travel Writing Overdrive. Probably better, you said, for people who maybe aren't just newbies starting this year, but who have something out there, whether it's freelancing or blogging, and they're wanting to ramp up their income. Can you tell us a little bit about the course and, obviously, the book, uh, the, the new revision of the book coming out, too? Yeah, so um, I had to revise the book, first of all, because it was about five or six years old. And, you know, things change quite a bit in that amount of time. Social media platforms come and go, ad platforms change, you know, um, affiliate networks uh, change, like all of that, plus just the media environment in general, the algorithms. And so, um, you know, I, I really revamped it from cover to cover and also got some quotes in from other writers that I'd interviewed in the meantime, because some of the people I 
interviewed in early editions have um, gone on to another career, as you were talking <laughs> about earlier. <laughs> um, the pandemic really hit hit a wallop to some people, especially the ones who were, uh, I'm going to do air quotes here, Instagram influencers, because, um, you know, their income kind of went to zero in a hurry, whereas we were able to hang on at least, especially for local oriented um, sites like yours, it was a little sure. easier. But, you know, a lot of those people kind of just went by the wayside. But anyway, um, yeah, so I updated that. It's uh, a new edition coming out. And then the course is basically a way to just dive in deeper. You know, it's it's uh, roughly 12 hours of video instruction. And then I have a, a mastermind level where it's uh, we do a conference call on video every two weeks. So, you know, they're able to ask me specific questions and we can look at their blog or look at their pitches and go through things. Um, and I do one consulting session later with them after the fact. And so that kind of keeps people accountable too. like the problem with a lot of online courses, dirty little secret, I guess, is most people don't finish them. <laughs> so, you know, this way <laughs> people actually make it all the way to the end and finish it. It's it's just so hard to like leave it and not never come back to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not a big part of my business. It's just something I, I do to kind of share the love. And I want to be compensated for my time, but I'm not charging, you know, thousands of dollars for this. It's, it's supposed to be something where people will earn their money back, you know, sometimes before they even finish it. But at least, you know, within the next year or two, they're going to be making more. And I'm focused totally on, um, you know, doing this as a business and making money at it. Um, we don't talk much about the craft of travel writing um, because there's some really good books out there for for that if people are interested. And But like you said, it's a different kind of writing anyway for SEO. And so um, the freelancers might want to go read those books, but I don't know if they're so helpful for uh, bloggers. Right, 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 right. Well, I'm going to put a link to um, the book in the show notes. I'll put a link to where you can sign up to get information about the course and, you know, get on your email list so people know that uh, that's coming out. But Tim, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing some perspective. And um, I'm, I love your, I, I, my biggest takeaway, I think is is interviewing people. Now I'm going to Austin and Key West the next 10 days, and I'm going to make it a point to interview somebody while I'm there. So Good, um, yeah. I'm an introvert like you. So now I'm like, oh my God, did I just say that out loud? But <laughs> and one way to, one kind of cheat way to do that is if you sign up for local tours, you know, one day tours or excursions in the afternoon, like then that way you get to hear from a local who's a guide, you know, who, who knows the area. Like I went out ca kayaking around No Name Key. That's actually the name of it. And uh, I got a lot of great info from that guy, like wildlife information and that kind of thing. Okay, good. Now I have a cheat too. So, yay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks for being here. Sure. Good talking with you and have a good rest of the week. Thanks. Hey, real quick, this is Leslie just dropping in to remind you that I have several free resources on my blog right now that I'd love you to get your hands on. Just head over to lesliepeterson.com. The link is in the show notes below and grab my free blog post update checklist. Or if you're on a journey to fire up your blog's email newsletter, grab my free list of 52 newsletter connection prompts. With both of those, I'll include a video about how to use them to build a solid relationship with your subscribers or work towards doubling your traffic with updates. Grab both of those at lesliepeterson.com.